You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, good morning. My name is Tim, and I have the privilege of serving as a pastor here. And uh, today I want to begin by reminding you of something that is easily forgotten. Uh, There was a time before GPS, before navigation, before maps on the phone that we used these. Anybody remember these? All the, um, uh, those over a certain age remember these. Um, Someone would be in this seat and either it was dangerous for us to unfold one of these, maybe typically the co-pilot had the privilege of this, but this is literally uh, to those under, you know, say mid-20s and under, this is how we did it. and you would sit there and look through this and be annoyed by this and worried to death about making the right turn, the wrong turn. Um, I, can, I can take you back, by the way, I'm not folding it up, but I can take you back to, um, to moments where you were arguing over whether or not we read this right. Um, I can take you back to times when I went to Nashville and was coming back to Knoxville and somehow got off an exit to get some medicine for a headache. And I came back to what I thought was Knoxville, but found myself back in Nashville. Like, like it was like you were, you were tied to the map um, or tied to your intelligence on how to get around. But, but now, thankfully, we've got this navigational system. But after a long day, being tired, overwhelmed, hoping that you were headed in the right direction when you were looking for a destination, one of the great things that would happen is you would, oftentimes, you, you would scan the horizon to find someone that was out in the yard, someone that was outside, looked like they were smart, looked like they were from here. And you'd pull the car to the side and you would ask them where such and such was. And it was so encouraging when they'd point in that direction as if to let you know you're headed the right way. But it was a completely different tale when they'd say, no, you're gonna have to go back that way. Like there was the tension of not knowing where we were going at the appropriate time. Um, I want you to hold on to that imagery of us trying to figure out where we are and where we're headed and how to get there on behalf of spiritual movement. Because this this is what's gonna happen as we continue this series today. It's what plays out in this New Testament story where this this guy named Paul shows up in a city called Ephesus. And he meets about a dozen men and women and he begins to have a conversation with them about what's at head because he's about to start a church in this city. Um, This gives you an idea of what Ephesus is like. Uh, There is a harbor, there are boats, there's shipping, there's goods. At the time, it was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Uh, Paul was a traveling preacher. And this story takes place about two decades, so 20 years after Jesus ascends into heaven. He's going to start another church, just like he started at Philippi and all these other places. Paul's like, all right, I'm ready to start one here because this city's the fourth largest at the time. So let's get after it. Upon entering the city, here's what happens. Verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, and he arrived at Ephesus. So Paul didn't sail. Paul walks 600 miles. 600 miles. That's from here uh, to New York City, give or take. Um, Paul walks this far because it's the moment that he's been waiting for. He's finally got an opportunity to make a dent on behalf of Jesus in an incredible city. And he's going to do it through the local church. When he comes up to these followers that he meets right off the bat, He asked him a question that's a little bit surprising. Listen to the question, verse verse one. There he found some disciples and he asked them, okay, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, This is kind of an interesting first question. We'll press in on it more, but he's asking him, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, the question is, why is that his first question? 
And this is the premise behind why we're doing this study today. He didn't want them doing anything on behalf of God without the power of God. If they were about to do something incredible, to start a church in this area, it was inconceivable. They would attempt to do the work of God apart from the power of God. Like he couldn't even wrap his mind around it being, it was unfathomable to try to do the work of God without the power of God. And Paul begins by asking this question. It's a question that is so valuable to them and that's setting them. And it's valuable to you and I today in the middle of this series, everyone's got someone who's your someone. It's a simple reminder, whatever you do, whoever we've been nudged to, to go above and beyond on their behalf, it should be un- inconceivable that we would attempt to do a work of God apart from the power of God. Because we need his power to love, to love the unlovable, to love the unloving, to love those that, that aren't even likable. Uh, we need his power to serve. Uh, to serve people that won't have the opportunity to pay us back. And we need his power to forgive. To forgive people that do the same thing over and over and over again. To forgive people that are unforgivable. Or for, to forgive people that never even vocalize the words, I'm sorry. Like this power, Paul was letting them know, this power is not something that we drum up inside of us. It's not something that we just hold our breath and count to 10 and square our shoulders. It's not something that we just tighten our belt and all of a sudden we've got to tap into this. No, this, this, this power is outside help. It's a power that comes only from the Holy Spirit. And as we explore this story that takes place in Ephesus and we look at the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to address some of these questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And how do we access the Holy Spirit's power in our lives? This is a critical conversation. On behalf of you and who interacts with you and the things that you do on a weekly basis, whether it's at home, at job, at your job, on some venture that you're trying to step out and to make a big difference. It's a critical conversation on behalf of this church. Because all of us can gather and go about our, our weekly business and do our uh, meetings and so forth. And we can call it the work of God, but it is stupid to attempt to do the work of God apart from the power of God. And this is, um, this is how, in essence, how things unfold as Paul is talking to Ephesus about make sure as we're getting ready to start this church that we do things right. So the first thing he does is he addresses the issue of priority. On behalf of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, all right, let's deal with first things first. Let's go back to the question that he asked. Verse 2, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's kind of a crazy first question. Like you would think, okay, if you're going to start a church in an area that doesn't have any churches, um, there are different questions to ask. Like, okay, what is our strategy Uh, on behalf of these 12 that are here with us? uh, What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Uh, Let's say we divide up. If there's 12, we can take... Three north, south, east, west. Let's, let's meet once a week for the purpose of accountability and communication. He, he could talk structure. He could talk organization. But Paul doesn't do any of this. He simply says, hey, first things first. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, lots of backgrounds represented in this room. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you are coming back to church. Some of you, this is like your first time at church. And you hear the, the phrase, Holy Spirit, 
a lot of different ideas come to mind. I thought it'd be very fitting for us to be on the same page. So let me give you a quick crash course on the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit by looking at this image. Um, God himself is one. And he shows himself in these three persons. There is the Father, there is the Son, Jesus, and there is the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. But all three, in this beautiful unity, this mysterious unity, work together as one. And the Apostle Paul is asking the people in Ephesus, did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, let me, let me shed a little light on the Holy Spirit. Do you realize he shows up in the second verse of our Bible? Um, Genesis 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He's already active in verse 2 of the first book. He's creating the cosmos. And then when you continue to read after verse 2, and you read the structure of the Old Testament, you will see until Jesus comes to the earth, there is a pattern that the Holy Spirit follows. You discover a theme. When you read the first half of the Bible, which is called the Old Testament, the, the theme works this way. The Holy Spirit shows up specific times on specific people, and he gives them a specific task. Some examples might be like this, uh, Gideon. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, meaning a specific time, specific person for a specific special task. Same thing for Samson. I told you this last week that I used to think as a kid that Samson was this muscle-bound guy, ripped up um, like myself. But the truth is, Samson is just the Spirit of the Lord moved mightily on Samson. Like it never says he's a muscle-bound guy. It, in times of strength, it's just like the Holy Spirit showed up for a set time on a special person for a specific task. Same thing for David. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily on David. Ezekiel, a prophet. When the prophet spoke, they would make statements like, the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me. So over and over and again, you see this pattern of the Holy Spirit on the first half of your Bible. A specific time, a specific person, and a special task. So if you think about it, that means not very many and not very often. So when Paul, back in the story of Ephesus in Acts 19, when he's talking to these people, their thinking is still how the Old Testament showed up with the Holy Spirit on this guy and this gal, this time for this job. So no wonder. There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're thinking, do we look like Gideon? Ezekiel, like David, Moses, like Paul, we're just normal people. Verse two, they answered, no, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Now, when you read in the context of this, the clarification is this. They didn't know he was available to all. They knew the Holy Spirit of the Old Testament. They didn't think the Holy Spirit would descend on normal people just like them. They thought it was just for a few and just not very often. Understand that in this setting, I want you to come, come to a realization of this imagery, a water geyser, like a pouring. 800 years before Jesus stepped 
foot onto the earth, a prophet Joel, moved on by the Holy Spirit, would make this prophecy. Joel 2.28, and afterward, this is God's statement. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Meaning young, old, men, women, someday, someday, someday. There will be a pouring out of the spirit of God so you can do the work of God in an unexplainable way. Joe would close this, verse 29. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Someday, someday. God would say, someday I'm going to do something brand new. And it's not, it's not just for a few. It's available for all. And when Paul showed up in Ephesus, guess what? Someday had already happened. And these people missed the memo. They were still operating as if the Holy Spirit, the pattern of the Holy Spirit showing up on just a few for a set time was the way to go introduce Jesus. So the first thing we see in the story is, is a priority. Paul's like, all right, first things first, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now that they're starting to come clear, um, we see a problem. The problem is that something's missing. Paul comes up with a brilliant follow-up question, verse three. So Paul asked, then, all right, what baptism did you receive? Verse three continues, well, John's baptism, they replied, because that's the only baptism we know. The backstory is there's a guy named John the Baptizer, also often referred to as John the Baptist. He's a prophet that showed up before the days of Jesus. And John had this thing that he was preparing the way for Jesus. And he had the courage to speak about man's need for God. He had the courage to speak in public places in front of influential people to address the sin. And, and people who wanted to change, who wanted to get their life right in preparation for Jesus, people would come to John and they would show up at the Jordan River. They would show up for a baptism known as the baptism of John, but this baptism was different. What they would do is they would stand there and they would acknowledge publicly, confess their sin. They would confess the things they've done wrong. I took this, I said this, I stole this, I've done all this. And then they would be baptized in the baptism of John. John even baptized Jesus. But what would soon happen is Jesus would come to fulfill everything that John had talked about. But these people in Ephesus, all they heard about was John. To prove that John's baptism and his message was one of preparation, listen to what he said in Luke 3, verse 16. John answered everybody. He said, hey guys, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I, he'll come. And the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When you believe him, he will indwell you with the third person of the Trinity when you trust him. He gives you this gift, the promise for eternal life, the promise that you can make it in this life. He ensures that, that, that you have the strength to make it. You'll have that outside help. And then the, the people that believe this would be baptized by water as a picture that they had been immersed already by the Holy Spirit. Well, let's go back to Ephesus. This is what Paul's talking about. Verse four, Paul says, hey, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but he told the people to believe in the one coming after John, that is, in Jesus. Meaning, if we're gonna get this thing going right and see the power of God, you gotta get it, you gotta get it straight. John's not the goal. 
Jesus is the goal. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So these people put their faith in Jesus, received the, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a promise. And then they were baptized in the water to demonstrate what had happened internally. Um, they've been taking so many good steps, and now they just took their most significant step. I want to ask a few questions to everyone in the room today that are, they come right out of this text. Number one, do you believe in Jesus? Number two, have you received the Holy Spirit? So often overlooked when we talk about Jesus. And number three, what water baptism did you experience? You say, well, what do you mean? Well, hang tight because I want to press in. Some in this room will talk about denominational baptism. As some say, I, well, I was baptized Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopal, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. I was sprinkled. Uh, I was baptized when I was an infant. I was baptized when I was a kid. My parents made me do it. I don't really remember all the details, but, but that's what happened. It was part of growing up where I grew up. Guys, forget all of that. In the same way that the Apostle Paul walked up to these people, I just want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Because we can get all twisted up and confused, kind of like this group. We can get twisted up and confused in some type of denominational baptism. Or how about cultural baptism? Many of us in this room are like confused on cultural baptism. Um, I would say it's more true in Knoxville than other cities. It's almost like religion is in the air. And you and I can get caught up into thinking that, um, well, I've embraced this cultural Christianity. I'm at church as much as possible. Do you realize it's possible to be in church and not have Jesus inside of you? We talked about the danger of that this past Tuesday with just sitting in a chair and thinking that it's accomplished the task. Okay, denominational baptism, cultural Christianity when it comes to baptism. How about emotional baptism? Many have come to this, like, this season of life, you're like, oh, I just threw in the towel. I've got to change. Everything's got to, got to change from a, a 180, and, and I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do more. I'm, I'm going to do all this stuff in this emotional response. You're trying these things, and understand, you can't work your way in. The gift that Jesus offers is not based on your goodness. It's established in his and it's called grace. So when I ask the question, do you believe in Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, you must receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then you should be baptized in the water as a declaration of the act of what God has done in you. All right, so let's go back to the story. I want us now to look at the power. Something special happens. When Paul meets him at Ephesus, first he talks about the priority. Hey, um, first things first, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Then he says, I got a problem. Something's missing. You guys kind of missed the mark, didn't understand the whole Jesus thing. It's available to you. And now we see a power. Something special happens, a special power. As you continue to read this story, and kind of give you the nutshell of what happened. They start to do the work of God, and they have the power of God, and God does some unexplainable things. In the text specifically, they begin to speak in tongues, and God begins to leverage that to get the message out. And when many of you in this room hear, oh, they spoke in tongues, what's Tim going to do with this? Uh, many of us grew up in different settings. Um, some that stuff scared you, some that stuff intrigued you, some you're like, 
oh dear, I don't feel comfortable in this setting. Well, let me just take you to the book of Acts and let's stay in the context and let me address what's going on. Because if you follow the flow of Acts, which is the actions of the early church apostles, what's taking place is they're starting churches everywhere. God does some pretty amazing things when it comes to the power of God. He wanted to make sure that if they're going to do the work of God, they'll have the power of God. That's why Jesus, at the beginning of Acts, he said this. We read it last week. You guys will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, let's talk about Jerusalem. Um, About 50 days after the resurrection, Pentecost, they're waiting, and God does something special. And they're about to do the work of God with the power of God, and these men and women begin to speak, and they speak in their own language. And hundreds and thousands of others that are around them that speak in other languages all of a sudden start to, to listen, and they're like, man, don't they speak that language? But we hear it in our own? And God did something crazy in the book of Acts, and it starts this, this, this beautiful, unexplainable work of God because of the power of God. Listen to Acts 2, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's in Jerusalem. In a matter of days, you've got thousands coming to know Jesus. Well, how about outside of Jerusalem? Well, keep following the flow. Acts chapter 10, Caesarea. Caesarea is part of Israel, but Israel kind of doesn't like Caesarea because of the first two syllables of the city, Caesar. It's kind of a Roman government area. And up to this point from Acts 1 to Acts 10, um, the apostles think that Jesus came just for the Jews. Well, God nudges Peter to go to Caesarea because everyone's got someone. Who's your someone, Peter? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to head this direction. And he meets a guy named Cornelius that is a Roman soldier. This Roman soldier experiences the grace of God. His life has changed. We see the same power of the tongues that takes place. Because he receives the Holy Spirit, he too gets baptized as a demonstration. So you follow the flow. God's doing unexplainable things, the work of God through the power of God. And it's crazy how it shows up with tongues in the book of Acts. You go Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 10. Then we stumble on Acts chapter 19. Same thing. So let's ask a question. How does the Holy Spirit want to be active in your life today? Because if Paul would stumble up into the city and say, hey, heads up, let's start here. Because it's stupid for us to try to do the work of God without the power of God. We ought to press in. I don't know about you, but, but I find myself sometimes going a full day in Tim's strength. And Tim's strength doesn't go far when it comes to loving, when it comes to serving, when it comes to forgiving. So how do I tap into this as a follower of Jesus? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As this is something that I've paid so More than ever, I'm paying such close attention to whether or not I'm walking in the Spirit. Asking God to bathe everything that I do. And yes, there are times that I grab things on my own, but there is nothing more beautiful than the work of God done in the power of God. Next verse, listen to this, verse 22. Paul gives us a little clarity on what it looks like, how it plays out. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love. Like, if you want the power of God, the fruit is is love. For people that are unlovely, that are unlovable, people that are 
hard to like. It's love. It's joy. It's peace in the midst of the most difficult circumstance. It's forbearance. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This, this is all power from the Holy Spirit. This power is available to you. It's available to me, but it doesn't mean we're using it. Um, a few years ago, uh, we have some, some great friends that are in this room. Uh, a few years ago, we, we have a tendency of going to the beach with them. No kids, just for a couple days. Uh, and it's in wintertime uh, because of this uh, pale skin, all right? Uh, so we go to the beach in the wintertime. And um, we, uh, I guess it was 2019, 2000, yeah, the end of 19. Um, our friend Trent and Amy surprised us with renting some of these. Um, I know by now everybody knows what these are. Back then I didn't have a clue, all right? Um, yes, it's not just a bike, all right? It's, I thought it was just a bike. When I first got on it, you know, it's awkward, it's heavy. I mean, I'm already not good at riding bikes. Um, this one, even more difficult. But unbeknownst to me, it was an e-bike. And an e-bike, everyone knows now, has a switch. You flip that switch, you got these buttons. You still pedal. You don't have to pedal hard. It, I don't care if you got one. I'm sorry, it hurts your feeling. It is not exercise, all right? It's just not. Um, but it is fun. Um, I thought about showing a video earlier, but um, I guess it was kind of when people were first starting to see these bikes. Uh, Jenny and I and Trent and Amy were just waving at everybody, and you're pedaling slow, but you're flying. And people are like, what is going on, right? Like this thing that was awkward is no longer awkward. This thing that was heavy, no longer heavy. And it all has to do with a switch. Some of you are sitting here, you're like, okay, Tim, what, where are you going with this? Like this e-bike and the switch analogy. Um, on behalf of spiritual things, Tim, how are you connecting the two? Ready? The Holy Spirit can be engaged or he can be ignored. And to all of us in this room, this story is a reminder that it's a tragedy when he's ignored. So when it comes to the work that needs to be done in your marriage, do not attempt to do the work of God without the power of God. When it comes to the work that needs to take place on behalf of a friendship, and it's tough, do not attempt to accomplish the work of God apart from the power of God. When you want to make a difference on behalf of somebody that can't pay you back and you're not sure how you're going to do it. You need help. You need outside help. Do not attempt to do the work of God apart from the power of God. The Holy Spirit, he can be engaged or you can ignore him. If you ignore him, if I ignore him, it's a tragedy. There's a lot at stake in this room. Maybe this city, this city picture will remind you what's at stake. Because this is where we live. And all the, the different dynamics that play out in this room, this network of relationships, the jobs, the friends, the influence, this church, together, we have the chance, just like Paul when he walked into Ephesus, we have the chance to shape the way the city of Knoxville views the local church. And I want to beg you, from the bottom of my heart, Let's not attempt to do the work of God apart from the power of God. Let's walk in step with the Holy Spirit.
Today, before we close, I want to uh, ask everyone to help me with this. Grab these. Everybody's got one. It's a baptism card. They're all across the room. Even if you've been baptized, I don't care. Let's, let's just everybody grab one. Let's look at this for a second. I'm going to press in, all right? Here's what I encourage you to do. I asked a few questions earlier. Have you trusted Jesus? Like, has there been a time in your life that you have acknowledged you're a sinner and you gave your life to Jesus? You believe that he died and rose again? You're like, I'm yours. Okay, let me tell you what happens when that takes place. You receive the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He comes inside you. That's the power to do life. That's the promise of eternal life. Whenever that took place, sometime after that, you needed to be baptized in the water by immersion, according to the Bible, as a picture of a life that's been changed. I pressed in earlier today because some, you've never been baptized. Some, you vaguely remember it. You don't even know why. Part of growing up. Some, your parents made you do it. But there comes a time that everyone in this room has to make the choice. And so Paul put this on the radar of a group of people that they're about to start a church. He's like, if we're going to do this, we've got to do this right. So what I want to encourage you to do If you need to be baptized, it doesn't matter if you're 90 or 19. It doesn't matter if um, you recently gave your life to Jesus or it happened a long time ago. You just still haven't gotten wet. I want to encourage you to fill this out. And you can either leave it in the chair or you can take it back to the front. And what's going to happen is in the, the days to come, we're going to follow up with you. We're going to schedule one of the most beautiful acts that could ever take place. And it is a beautiful demonstration to the world of what it's like to do the work of God. Hand in hand with the power of God. Father, I want to thank you so much for today and thank you for this church. God, I thank you for this series that we've got a chance to be reminded that everyone's got someone. But I pray it wouldn't stop there. I pray that we would think who is our someone. God, week one, we we spent time looking at at how compassion shows itself, what it looks like. Ruth, Boaz, Naomi. God, it's beautiful and it's contagious. God, last week we were reminded why we do it. Because if we don't know why we do it, there will be times that it's easy to throw in the towel. There will be times that we're we're so easily focused on ourselves. But we're reminded the reason we do it is because Jesus commanded it. We're reminded we do it because grace is like pressing the gas pedal. We're reminded why we do it because you tell us that we'll have outside help. And on behalf of the outside help called the Holy Spirit this week, we see how. And if there's one thing we leave with today, please remind us when it comes to how we do our family, how we deal with our marriage, how we handle our finances, how we navigate leadership challenges at work, how we operate as a local church, please remind us that it is impossible for us to attempt to do the work of God apart 
from the power of God. Will you please use this song to remind us?